0: going on nerds thank you so much for joining me with another episode of the veterinary anesthesia nerds podcast I hope you're having a great start to your week And I am joined today by a VTS in emergency and critical care by the name of Karen Roach. Karen is a very accomplished VTS in ECC. She's also an RVT. She got her RVT in 1994. She got her VTS in 2013. Uh, She attended the Nova Scotia Agricultural College, so she is a Canadian. So I'm sure you'll love her accent as we go through today's episode. And please help me welcome Karen Roach.
1: So hey, Karen, how's it going? Good. Thank you very much for having me. Honored to be asked.
0: (laughs) No problem. Um, So full disclosure you guys, Karen and I have actually uh, worked together for about a year now. Uh, Karen spends most of her time in the ICU, and hopefully she doesn't have me come over too often and need anesthesia. Every once in a while we do, but we definitely talk about pain control quite a bit. And that's kind of why I wanted to have Karen on the show today. What we really wanted to talk about was kind of the role of the veterinary nurse and nursing care for our ICU patients, for our hospitalized patients, and how we can make sure we are keeping them as comfortable as possible, um, sometimes with drugs, sometimes with modalities that don't involve drugs. So uh, let's get talking to Karen. How's it going, Karen? Good. Excellent. Um, So Karen, but first of all, let me ask you, you know, I'm an anesthesia nerd and you're on the Anesthesia Nerd Podcast and I noticed you went for your VTS and ECC. So why didn't you go for your VTS and anesthesia, which is clearly the coolest VTS?
1: (laughs) Depends who you talk to, but it is very cool. And that was actually my first thought. I knew it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I did a internship at the Animal Medical Center back in 2000 and we rotated through all areas of the hospital including surgery anesthesia and I learned a ton loved it there also did ICU there of course too when I got started working towards my VTS I was at an emergency clinic in Nova Scotia and so and then when I looked into the criteria for anesthesia I just didn't meet it so I was like okay what else do I really love and I have always loved critical care so It was my second choice, but I do love it. I still love (laughs) anesthesia, and it was always sort of in the back of my mind to maybe do that one, too.
0: Anesthesia is number one. I mean, I can't help it. Listen, that's just the way it is. Sorry, dentistry. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) Vicky <laughs> is gonna kill me. Um, so what I wanted to talk to you about, because you spend so much of your time in the ICU specifically, you know, you're seeing a lot of these patients as they come out of surgery, you're taking care of them postoperatively. Mm-hmm. So as far as, you know, your technician skills and really utilizing them, you know, what are some ways, some signs of pain that you look for in your patients? So that way, you know, you can alert your doctor, like, hey, maybe this fentanyl CRI isn't working. What are some signs that you look
1: for? Depends if it's a cat or a dog. Don't ask me about exotics pain. Uh, (laughs) Dogs tend to be a little easier to tell, I find, sometimes, because, you know, they'll vocalize a lot. Um, Cats can be a little trickier, but it does take a lot of experience and, you know, just doing this over and over for years. And there are pain pain score scales out there. We currently use the Colorado State one. There's a feline one and a canine one. There are other ones out there. There are grimace scales for cats. Um, definitely yeah, in cats. That, that pain new, face, that yeah, pain that face new, is a big one.
0: Definitely in that new uh, report that came out, and we can link up to it in the bio here for this, but that newer report that came out um, in the feline journal about recognizing pain behaviors and body positioning and especially facial Um, you know, looking at their face and seeing how their whiskers are positioned, how their ears are positioned. That was a big one for me as well. I I found it very interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think it's one of those things I always noticed over the years, just never really verbalized it. And then I read these articles and I'm like, oh, that is a thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, you kind of have to rule out everything. Like, is it dysphoria? Is it just... It's a husky. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Is it a husky that's had hydro? Right, exactly. So I think if you rule out everything else, and you can't just go by vitals. I mean, those are a part of it sometimes. But, you know, has that post-op TPLO been walked since it's had surgery and been on 150 mils an hour of IV fluids? You know, get them out to pee. And if they still seem restless and uncomfortable, then it probably is pain. So I find getting as much information as you can before you go to the doctor so yeah, make sure their bladder's empty. Make sure there's nothing else that's distressing them.
0: So let's say you, you know, because I like give everybody a, a case scenario here on the podcast. So since we're talking specifically about nursing care, like you you notice your patient is in pain. You've taken them out, you you know, they've emptied their bladder, you have palpated their incision, they're very sensitive to it. They may be, you know, whimpering or they won't they can't sit down and get comfortable. Now, you armed with this information, you know, I feel like a lot of technicians are sometimes intimidated to go to their doctor and say, hey, I know you're written up for Hydro Q4, but I think we need something a little bit more. So how do you bridge that gap? How do you work together with your doctor, you know, in the nicest way possible to not be confrontational? Like, hey, guess what? You're being a jerk and not providing pain control because that that doesn't do anything good for anybody. (laughs) So we want to make sure that we're working together with the doctors as a team. So when you see your patients in pain, what are some things you can say? How can you best advocate for your patient?
1: Yeah. And I'm definitely a big advocate for pain control. I will fight for that till my dying breath. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, you do really need to broach it as a team thing. You go to them with all this information. You're like, I really feel this patient is painful. This is why I feel it's painful. Um, you know, and it doesn't seem like the pain control we're using at the moment is working. Is there something else we could please try? Yeah. So I, you know, talk it out together. I think that is one of the biggest things is ask, (laughs) not demand. Although sometimes I really like to do that. Like we need, we need to do this. (laughs) This is not working, but yes, very much. I mean, you are a team and hopefully, you know, your vet will reciprocate with that, but talk it out with them. And like I said, go armed with as much information as you can about why you think this patient is painful and that you really feel for the best For this patient, we do need to change things up.
0: Yeah, and I like to tell people, especially when I'm lecturing and I talk to technicians about how they can best craft this message, you know, I, like you, I'm a big stickler for pain control. I want to make sure our patients are not in pain and we're adequately assessing it and adequately treating it, multimodal if possible. Absolutely. And I think that how you say things is definitely important, you know, your tone of voice, how you approach them, that's very important. So again, if you're going to work together as a team, you can't go up to them and say, hey, this patient's in pain. What are you thinking? What are you doing? doing you know i i always tell people that you know if you word it correctly you can usually get what you want very you know if you if anybody here has been married or in a long-term relationship you know you don't go up to your husband and say hey do you want to empty the dishwasher of course they don't want to empty the dishwasher but you say hey what time would it be good for us to work on the dishwasher? You know, when or what time is going to be us? So you don't say, do you want to do it? Of course nobody wants to do it. Yeah. You know, do you want to go over and assess this dog's pain? Of course the doctor doesn't want to do that. They have 15 other things to do. But if you say, hey, I already assessed them. I used the Colorado scale. They were at a two. Now they're at a four. And you go with that information. What analgesic do you want me to add into this protocol? I think sometimes if you just prompt them with that kind of language, right. it helps a lot
1: make it seem like their idea. Definitely. I've gotten really good at that over the years. You sometimes have to go in a big circle, but you can get there. And I know sometimes a lot for younger techs, or not necessarily younger, but newer, less experienced, and you know, they just haven't gotten there yet, or they're very intimidated by the doctor. Uh so that can that skill can take a while. Um, But what I've always told my, you know, the techs I'm training in ICU is if you're not comfortable going to the doctor, come to me, I will go do it for you. And if when possible, I get them to come with me so they can hear what I say and how I say it, because I want them to learn how to advocate for their patients, because I push that. I mean, not just with pain control, but everything about our patients, like, Always, I mean, they're your patients too. They're not just the doctor's patient, they're yours. So take ownership of your patients and advocate for them in every avenue, in particular pain control, since that's what we're talking about today. For sure. <laughs> I mean,
0: pain definitely, control. definitely pain control, pain
1: control for everyone.
0: Um, so Trazodone for oh, everyone. Oh yeah, definitely trazodone for everyone. I mean, everyone should just come in on, tri- uh, people, animals, yeah, everyone.
1: I think they should come as chews and they get them as soon as they come in through ER. I mean, we
0: should make milkshakes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to go, we're gonna, we're gonna put this on the list for later, yeah. Trezadone milkshakes. So, yeah. uh, everyone out there in podcast land, when you see Trezadone milkshake on the menu somewhere, just remember, came here first. Yes. So Send us the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Trezadone money. Uh, so, what are, let's say... You have your patient, they're on a fentanyl CRI, you know, the, the doctor then maybe we will put them on a lidocaine CRI too. Uh, but again, it's not just all about drugs. So when you're talking to your techs and you're teaching these new ICU techs, you know, what are you giving them as far as some non-pharma options to keep our patients comfortable?
1: Well, kind of bouncing off the trizodone idea, stress, stress control, <laughs> stress management is definitely a big one and trazodone gabapentin those are all good things to add in i know that's still pharma otherwise you know keep your cat separate away from barking dogs if possible if you have a really wound up dog keep him away from the quieter ones if possible um you know cats especially like their privacy so with cats as much as possible we like to um you know give them a little hidey box if we can Mm -hmm. Um, feel away. We have feel away diffusers in our cat ward. We give them feel away sprayed towels. Um, and then, depending on how busy your, your clinic is, if there is a time through the day or the night, if you can dim the lights, that's definitely another one.
0: Yeah, um, I know that I've come through the ICU at times and seen that the lights are dimmed for the patients, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, if the patient is there for 24 hours or 48 hours, and it's constantly noise and beeping from right. some bright lights, and
1: fluorescent lights, that's going to add yeah. to their stress. And to be honest, it's not necessarily just for the patients. <laughs> I worked night shifts for almost 20 years <laughs> like I like the lights Dan. but those are all big ones and then absolutely keeping them clean and dry having them on really comfortable bedding and then other things are you know sometimes it'll be even signed up on the treatment sheet some of the doctors are really good about this icing the incision we also have a rehab department here we have a laser we can laser those incisions so definitely controlling stress and keeping them as comfortable as possible and keeping the environment like make sure the room isn't too cold or too hot or too noisy or you know don't be spraying you know really strong smelling chemicals, chemicals right next to their gauge. right next to them stuff like that for sure
0: Yeah, I think there's all kinds of ways that we can keep our patients comfortable. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we always have to set up a fentanyl CRI. There are small uh, things that you can do. You know, again, keeping them warm, keeping them dry. Do they have to go out and pee? Um, Is their IV line kinked around their legs? You know, just like looking at things like that um, is really important. And I know that you yourself, you know, you went through the VTS ECC. So we're gonna veer off from the pain management just for a second. You know, you went through the VTS ECC. You, uh, you know, really like advocating for your patients. You're kind of going a step further as far as past, you know, your RVT. And I know that you went through a study group and everything, so if just for a minute before we go, you could talk about maybe how important it was for you to go for your VTS and have a mentor. And you can certainly give a shout out to your mentor because we love shouting out to our mentors here. Uh, and just talk about that experience.
1: Um, I didn't really have a mentor when I went through, um, but the study group definitely helped. And since I've gone through, I've actually mentored. I'm on my fourth, fourth mentee, I believe, that's going for their ECC exam. Awesome. And I really love doing it because I know how hard it is and, you know, knowing what to focus on. Um, just having someone guide you and through the process of writing up your logs and your cases. Um, so that's very important. And I've just always tried to do that my whole career as I've gotten more experience. I love to see people learn and when they finally get something. Like, I, I love to see that light go on. And they're like, yeah, now I get it. I know how it. much you love math.
0: <laughs> I know how much you love teaching everyone math here.
1: I did that today. We had a little impromptu math class upstairs. Um, as for my mentors, I mean, I had a few different ones throughout the years, but the one I really want to give the shout out to is Dr. Kathy Lamy at the Metro Animal Emergency Clinic in Nova Scotia, who we worked together for probably 16 years. And not only did I learn a lot just about veterinary medicine from her, but also nursing care as well. She was really good at that. But also the fact that she had so much respect for my knowledge and abilities and trust in me, that really gave me a lot of confidence in myself and the fact that I could do this VTS thing because I had a veterinarian who trusted me implicitly to look after her patients. She didn't even like going into surgery if I wasn't doing the anesthesia. <laughs> so she's been very sad since I left, right, Kathy? <laughs> I'm going to make sure she listens to this. Excellent. But definitely that was a big one to give I mean, me the confidence to, to go forward in my career. Yeah, I mean, what you're
0: saying is so important. Again, it goes back to the, the doctors and the technicians really have to work together as a team. It really yeah. is not you know, one over the other. We have to work together as a team. The doctor making the diagnosis, making the orders, the technician taking those orders and running with them and really monitoring the patient throughout the day. We have to be in constant communication. We have to be there together and work together for the best outcomes for the patient. So to have a doctor that really advocates for technicians, fantastic. You know, yeah, we, she definitely want more taught me a
1: lot about, yeah, being a team player and that we, we, they called us the dream team <laughs> <laughs> well now
0: you're here living right. the american dream oh, oh i'm oh. sure you're happy with that decision now <laughs> anyway so that's all the time we have Thank i get you. to work with you so I mean, you know you. that is a dream yeah so, oh yeah, yeah something <laughs>
1: Or a nightmare.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not into the maths, but dextromethor for everyone. Woo! Absolutely.
1: That's great drug. Except
0: for in the in the instance of um, cardiomyopathy, I do want to put that out there, that I do not give dextromethor to dilated cardiomyopathy. I don't want to get any emails from anybody, okay? Don't, yes. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much, Karen. Um, hope to have you on the podcast again, and
1: keep doing your maths. All right. Thank you very much for having me. We're out.